This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. Welcome to Changemaker EDU, a podcast that inspires powerful individual and collective transformation by sharing leadership, personal development, and education change-making ideas and stories to ignite people like you to create the change deep within your soul, embody your calling, and bring your dreams to life. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I share wisdom from my 25 plus years as an education innovator, school founder and CEO, mindset teacher and leadership coach, but also interviewing other diverse paradigm shifters. Join me in our grassroots movement to create lasting impact, one education change maker at a time. All right, so Scott and I just had an amazing conversation and you're going to listen to it now, but I always ask my guests, you know, what is something that you really hope that people take away from this conversation so that as you're deciding if you want to listen, you get a little flavor of what we're, what we'll be talking about. Yeah. So what I would, what I would say is um, it's, if you want something to happen that's different than a traditional, especially high school experience, the most important thing is to start and you can start small. You can start by doing, you can, instead of a textbook, you can do a project. Like you can do, you can start there you don't have to wait for the entire system to be redesigned before you can start doing something different. You get going and I will guarantee you it will grow from there. And that's really what we've done um, and what you'll hear about in this in this podcast of, of the the things that we've, we've done at Purdue Polytechnic and other places is we started, we got it going, and then it grew from there. Yeah, and I love that as a way of framing it because as you were talking, I remembered how I had a vision for what I wanted my class. I had a vision for what I wanted education to be. And then I left my job at the bank in DC and I went into education when I was 30. And then I had a vision for what my classroom would be based on, you know, learning and going to grad school and all that. And then took that vision to my classroom. And then I had that vision became, you know, when I was a principal, it's like, that's the same vision. And now I have the vision for multiple schools and education in general. So I feel like you, everyone listening has some sort of vision or deep belief about what they believe kids can do or be and what school can right. be. And rather than sitting around being like, well, I just can't do it because, you know, it's this massive, huge, you know, Titanic that we're trying to shift. It's like, if you can just do one thing, like Scott saying that can just move. If it's just change your classroom to doing one project this year, or go ahead and like start that after school program, or go find those three friends that want to start a micro school or talk to somebody crazy like Scott that might hire you at a charter <laughs> school. <you know? laughs> That's right. Do whatever you feel, because as all of us get together and we start to move this, it's not going to happen because, you know, one person at the top is doing it. It's going to happen because there's so many people listening and doing the change making to create a better education system for our kids. So 
great summary there, Scott. Thanks for listening, everyone, and hopefully you'll enjoy the episode. All right, welcome everyone to Changemaker EU. Super excited to be here today with Scott Bess. How are you doing, Scott? I'm great. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's been a while. We, we Scott and I were in the New Souls Venture Fund cohort together and used to hang out when we'd go on our school visits and all that, but we haven't seen each other in person since before COVID, which was 5,000 years ago. So great to be with you again. And we already had a very engaging pre-conversation before I hit record, so I'm excited about this episode. I'm going to read Scott's bio for you. And then we'll jump into the conversation. So Scott Bess is the founder and former CEO of Purdue Polytechnic High Schools, which has quadrupled the annual number of URM students. What is URM? So people know. Underrepresented minority students. Perfect. From Indianapolis who attend Purdue University. So they've quadrupled that. That's impressive. Before this, Scott was a president of Goodwill Education and developed the Excel Center to create opportunities for high school dropouts to attain a high school diploma, which now serves over 9,000 students across the US. He was appointed to the Indiana State Board of Education by Indiana's governor and serves on multiple boards related to education. Scott lives in Indiana with his wife, Robin, and enjoys time with his four adult children and five grandchildren. And from knowing Scott, he loves these kids because we've had a really good conversation about the grandkids and the children. So Scott, tell us what gave you the idea, the impetus, the motivation to start Purdue Polytechnic High School? The first one, because now you have three, right? We now have three, yeah. So the impetus for Purdue Polytechnic High School actually came, I give a ton of credit to, at the time, Purdue's president, Mitch Daniels, who prior to becoming Purdue's president was a two-term governor of the state of Indiana, right? So he leaves the governorship, goes to Purdue as president. And one of his very unique skills um, and highly developed skill is asking questions. And he started asking questions at Purdue about what are our demographics? Where do students come from? Because uh, when you walk on Purdue's campus, you see an incredibly diverse uh, student body. But what he found was that, first of all, the, their undergraduate uh, population is less than 2% black. And Indiana's state is overall 10% plus black. And if you look at the age group of college students, it's, it's more than that. So clearly underrepresented. Yeah. Then he asked, well, what's our pipeline look like from the state of Indiana? And the Commission for Higher Ed did a, did a search and they said, okay, in 2015, there were 40,000 uh, Indiana high school seniors who took the SAT. Out of that 40,000, there were only 258 black and Latino students who met Purdue's average incoming score, right? And obviously Purdue wasn't getting all of them, which means that the pipeline was infinitesimally small. And so his thing was, well, we have to do something about that. And he had a very famous quote, which said, if we wait for the K-12 system to drive a better outcome, we'll wait forever. And so the decision there with with with, with Mitch and then uh, Purdue's board and then a, a really innovative dean, at the, who at the time was dean at one of his colleges, said we should start our own high school. And honestly, I had done some work, uh, as, as mentioned in the bio, with the Excel Center and started something from scratch, grew that. And Mitch was governor at the time we did that. So basically it was like, well, let's, let's go get that guy. And <laughs> nice. so I uh, really, I remember asking the question of, of the founding board was, does Purdue want to do a STEM high school, which would be cool. Or do you want to kind of fundamentally reinvent the high school experience? Cause that's really different. And if it's that, then I'm in. And that, that was that. So the, the central thesis we had from the very beginning, we had a planning year, was if we're going to get a different outcome, a radically different outcome, 
we have to radically redesign what the high school experience is for all students, but again, specifically for uh, those underrepresented minority students, black students, Hispanic students, and I also lump low-income students in with that as well. So that was that was the impetus for it. Um, you know, we we've had we just had our third graduating class. So far, so good. Um, again, we're sending um, uh, about thirty percent of our of our grads on to Purdue, which again is a rigorous place to get in. I think they they said last year they had over seventy thousand applications uh, oh, for sure. the, for about nine thousand spots. Yeah. We're getting students in. They're being reasonably successful once they get there. And again, more than half of the students that we've sent are black or Hispanic. And so we've taken that really low number of particularly black undergrad students and just our first two graduating classes increased their black population by six percentage points. So we're starting to see the needle move. Um, it's hard work, but it has really been interesting. And the biggest thing is we've learned a lot. Um, our students have learned a lot. And an interest, I think Purdue is learning a lot of working with a population that's coming to them with a very different background. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And I haven't heard all these, like, since we haven't talked for a while, I haven't heard all the um, statistics that you shared. So that's really impressive. And knowing you, I'm not surprised that you asked the, the founding board, if I'll take this job if you want to radically redesign it. Right. right. If you're doing a STEM school, go look for someone else. Yeah. So in this radical redesign, you know, what is, what does it look like now? Well, from the beginning, it was, Look, if we're going to do this, first of all, it's going to be all project based, right? That's the so because what's well, interesting in the planning year, we went around and we asked students, uh, you know, college students, we asked high school students, we asked um, employers, we asked higher ed people, community people, and said, look, if you're going to start a high school scratch, what would it look like? Yep. And what was amazing was how common the answers were. It was should be project based, you know, real world stuff. It should be a lot of collaboration. You should have the community engaged and involved with, with the school, you know, kind of not just like lots of, lots of places do an advisory group and they meet for breakfast once a month and then they go shut their doors. Well, it was like, no, the community should be in the school. So we use that as our, as our fundamental building block. So that's what we're going to do. The K through 12 people that we talked to were all in agreement of those things, but then they said, well, but there's only X periods and, you know, there's only six periods in the day. And, you know, you, there's all these standards and all these requirements and testing. And so we do the, we'd like, we do a senior capstone project or um, the best answer I got from one group was hey, in January, we do this really cool January term with kids. They love it. There's all these projects. There's all this energy. Well, then February comes and we stop doing cool things and we go back to, (laughs) we go back to school. Right. So, we really wanted to capture the essence of that and say, there's no reason why you can't get all this academic learning through projects, through community involvement and let kids collaborate and work together. So that was the essence. And honestly, the, you know, now we're in our seventh year, it's the same essence. Now we've learned a lot and we tweaked a lot. And, you know, as we grew, you know, our, our largest school now has 600, the other two schools, like one has 300, the other one has 200. So, you know, it's when you get to 600 students, you're, there's there's a size and scale. You got to like they're teenagers. You should probably know where they are mostly during the day, and you know, pay attention to that. And again, we're still dealing with all the same credit requirements and testing requirements that everybody else has to. But we've managed to keep the essence of the school the same. I think our our students when they graduate, and again, we we do this thing where we ask them, you know, what's what's the biggest thing you t- you're taking away from this school. And the most common answer is we learned how to fail. Mm. Like, right. We had a, we had a project and it didn't turn out the way we thought, but 
the, the big thing was, well, what do you learn from it? And what are you taking away from that? And that's a skill. And you know, I know we're going to talk about this, the skills versus credits thing. Like, yeah, that's a skill that you can take forward into anything. And it's, it's fully applicable to all aspects of your life. And I think that's, that's something that gets lost too often is when you have these real rigorous, you know, classes you got to pass and there's no opportunity to fail. It's just a failure. It's nothing to pick up from and go. So that's, so again, probably we, we've kept, cause there's always a pull when you do something different, there's always a pull back to the mainstream. Oh yeah. Right. Because all the systems are designed around the mainstream and everything oh, yeah. else. And we've been able to largely resist that. Now we've had to innovate and say, well, gosh, some of our kids aren't doing great on the math SAT. Right. Well, the answer probably isn't putting them in a math class out of a textbook. Like we know what, we know what those outcomes are. Like we can, right. we can predict that. Right. So, okay. We're not going to go backwards, but now we need to innovate forward. Let's figure that out. And that's, that's really has been what I give our, our staff a ton of credit for is, is how do we, how do we innovate forward versus regress backward? Yeah. Well, and I love that if that's what kids are saying when they leave, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment because just even the concept of growth mindset and right. failure is not a bad thing. It's that's right. learning, right? And so yep. that alone is a massive accomplishment. And okay. So talk to us about the, you know, when you were thinking about Purdue Polytechnic and, and designing the school and why don't we just go for like the school that you and I went to? Like you probably played sports from what I know about you. You're probably one of the best athletes there. <laughs> did. So yeah. did you enjoy your high school experience. Why are we changing it? Yeah, did all the things. And I, I think what, what's funny is turns out what kids really enjoy about high school is exactly what you just mentioned. It's their sports, it's their clubs, it's their extracurriculars, all those kinds of things. Yeah. So we said, okay, we're going to do all that, right? We have a prom, we have, I mean, we have sports that I never thought we like, I didn't think we'd ever have a football team because like, oh, it's and it's like all those things. Well, yeah. then it, we give a lot of voice and choice to students and they really wanted football. And so okay. we figured out how to do it. Now we're, you know, like we're a full Indiana high school athletic association member. Our girls basketball team won their sectional last year. Like it's a, nice. so we have that high school experience. Okay. But what, but what students don't enjoy about high school is essentially the drudgery of going class to class to class and it's yes. everything's assigned to them and yeah you know and it, what's what's funny is i get I, I do a lot of talks and um I, I make a habit of at almost everyone i do and it's almost always to college educated professional groups of some some sort or other right business yeah. people or, or policy people and i ask the question how many of you just endured high school like how many of you just grinded your way through it mm -hmm. And remember, I'm talking to people who, by whatever measure you want to use, are relatively successful in life. Right. They played the game and they they were successful. Yeah. But I've I've never had less than I've never had more than half the people raise their hand, mm -hmm. or I've, I've more than half the people have always said, "Yeah, I just endured it. Like right. it was a grind." It's like, man, if you're 14, 18 years old, that should be an exciting, exhilarating time of discovery. Not, I just got all the curiosity beat out of me, and I just grinded my way through it. And so the fundamental design of high school is, Hey, let's keep all the parts of high school that are fun and enjoyable and social yeah. and, and all those things, but let's redesign the part that the, the, the primary participant in it generally hate. 
So that was, that was the, that was the core of it. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's the factory model that we all endured. (laughs) And you're talking to a group of people when you ask that question that probably went to college and had the, you know, social capital to do all the things to endure high school and play the game and cut class when they could and know how, you know, all the stuff that we all did in high school. And yeah, if you, if you look at the urban schools or the, you know, where your kids, a lot of the kids in your, um, in your school would be going, they're not only enduring the school, but they're not really getting much out of it. Right. And so that's, that's what needs to happen. Like the high school experiences and it hasn't changed for how many years? What were you telling me about the the slide that you share with folks? Yeah. So I do it. I do a slide where I, I, uh, I put up a, um, it's a high school schedule and it actually came from the gang of 10 back in 1892, right? The people that essentially came together and said, well, here's the Carnegie unit and here's all the things. And if you substituted French or Spanish or Latin, it would look exactly like a scheduled day because it had it listed out. Here's your freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. Here's all the things you should be doing. And it, you, know, you could, you could put it in any, any high school today and they go, yeah, that's, that's our, that's our typical class schedule. Right. And it it came from 1892 and you might argue things have changed somewhat (laughs) since then, right? It's, there's a, there's a few differences. So I think that the understanding that we're doing something. And again, you could look at any classroom today and other than like, obviously there's technology in a classroom and people are using, you know, smart boards and other things instead of chalkboards. Right. It, you could show a picture from 1940 and just colorize it and put some yeah. uh, put some technology in there, and they go, "Yeah, that's that's our that's our English classroom, right?" It's and so, yeah, it's the so same. Trying trying to say that things focusing more on what skills students need versus kind of a prescribed course of study because it doesn't work for everybody. And our, as I also say, like the outcomes we're getting today are exactly how the system was designed. Yes. Yes. Right. People it's say so it's a broken system. Well, it's not a broken system. This no, is, it's working it's perfectly. Doing exactly what it was designed to do. Right. Yeah. 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 And so we have this factory model, which is based on putting the kids in widgets and then commanding and controlling them while they're in the system. And so kids are really good at learning how to follow the rules and break the rules. And so from my understanding, you're trying to, you said you give the kids a lot of voice and choice. You're trying to empower the kids to make choices throughout their day and not kind of just be this passive learner that goes through the the command and control system. Is that right? Yeah. And it's that's one of the, actually the big, uh, the power of like a project-based approach is you can actually give students choice in which projects they do right now the trick is you got to have rigorous projects right because there's yes you still live in a world where there's they have to get credits and they have to pass a test and so you've got to make sure that they learn content but our teachers have gotten really adept at saying i can design a project or allow a student to design a project yeah still has gives me the opportunity to teach rigorous content but in the context of something the student's interested in. And as a side note, it turns out if you give students a voice in what projects they do, your classroom management issues go oh. way down, right? Because again, they've chosen to be there. And another interesting sidelight is, again, I, I wish I'd said, oh, I knew this would happen. And 
I'm a genius at this, but (laughs) it was after the fact, but, Oh man, that's, that's really interesting is that if a teacher designs a project, because it's something that he or she is interested in. Right. And it's like, Hey, here's this thing I love. Right. You know, I love catapults. Right. And they, and been fascinated by them all my life. I love this thing. So they put this project out there that says, Hey, this is kind of an advanced math kind of project. We're going to, we're going to look at catapults and we're going to learn how to apply these equations to that. And you get some kids going, Oh man, I get to build something. I get to throw rocks and, you know, things across the field. Well, that sounds cool. So now you have a teacher who thinks something is cool and you have a student who thinks something is cool and they get to work together. Co-creating, aren't you? And that's a, that's a very different relationship than here's a class I have to take. And the teacher says, we got to go through chapter 12 of the textbook by the end of December, right? It's, it's a very different dynamic. So again, classroom management changes, the interaction between students and teachers change. And again, hopefully, like going back to our previous uh, topic, you make the core part of the high school day, not the drudgery part, but the like the interesting thing, right? If I get to build something, I get to do something, I get to experiment, I get to try. And I, I can tell you from the catapult project, sometimes they miscalculate and the thing goes farther <laughs> than they anticipated. And you just have to deal with the, you know, the actual literal fallout from that. Yeah. Yeah. And then with the, with the, okay. So the skills, that's what I was going to say. So with the skills, we have the same content from 1892 and your contention is like, let's actually get the kids learning skills like fail forward and growth mindset. And I'm sure you could fill in the blank. And I remember seeing when I was designing growth public schools, you know, the top five things that the top five skills you need, and it's like adaptability and empathy. None of it says like, you know, knowing the content. And today you think about, I mean, I used to say this 10 years ago, like you could just Google it. Now it's like, you're not even going to be Googling it. Chat GPT and AI is basically going to be like observing you and basically telling you, oh, I'm going to tell the answer before you get to Google. So why do we need to be like really focusing on the content and, you know, what's the importance of skills? Yeah. You know, as an example, like, and again, full disclosure, I was a math major in college. Um, I taught math. Um, I, I worked in IT. I have never used calculus. <laughs> and I really like math. I love everything there is about math. And that's a, now, if I was going to be a theoretical engineer, I really need to have calculus. And so yeah. there's a subset of people who need that very specific content knowledge. But generally, we use calculus as a, screener for higher ed right right in a in a washout class in in college and basically it says we're testing to see if you're willing to grind your way through something right and get there when you don't see any real applicability to it well and then hopefully if you can do that in calculus you can do that in the rest of the stuff that we make you do right i think helping students learn how to analyze data is really valuable. How to be, how do you have analytical skills is really valuable, right? How to collaborate, how to be, how to innovate on something like those, those skills are applicable everywhere. And, you know, to your point, when we talked to employers and we said, what do you need? It was things like that. No one, no one talked about very specific, you know, content knowledge that they needed people to have. The assumption was we can teach you those things or it's going to be automated anyway. And so, you know, I think that, but having those transferable skills 
and really focusing on that while you're also teaching content. Again, I, I wish we lived in a world where the diploma requirements weren't these, again, 1892 list of things. Right. And as a side note, again, they're on the state board here in Indiana. We are, we are looking at things like that of maybe our diploma looks very, very different in a couple of years than, mm -hmm. than what it does now. And what would that do to schools in terms of freeing them up from kind of the, like, you can do whatever you want in the school, but you got to get these 40 credits and it's got to be in these content areas. And, you know, you, 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 you leave room for very, very little flexibility. Right. We're looking at the state level. How can we do that? What we're trying to do within Purdue Polytechnic and, and some of the other schools we're working with is how do you, how do you focus on the skills, zero in on that and get this content knowledge that you're going to have to kind of reassemble if you will, into courses and credits to make things look the way they expect them to look. Right. Okay. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that at a state level, you're advocating for changing the policy so that the report card or the diploma, sorry, the diploma, diploma. Yeah. would actually be skills-based and not content-based. That's right. Got That's it. right. But in the interim right now, you're working within this framework That's right. and you're basically playing the game and, and giving them as many projects and skills. It's the same thing we did at Summit Public School. Yeah. Center, right. It's like, we're going to focus on the skills and my school is now using summit learning fourth through eighth grade. So we got the cognitive skills going all the way across from kindergarten through eighth grade. And it's a, you know, a, a vertical area across the whole entire school so that you're learning the skills and reinforcing them, which is amazing. And so that's, and that's the importance of the skills, right? Because you're going to leave high school with really most public high schools is really like a GED equivalent, right? You're, yes. you're not being held to high standards necessarily. And there's not a lot of applicable skills that you're bringing out into the world, whether you're going to college or not. And I wanted to ask you about that around, uh, you know, before we hit record, I was telling you that there's been schools that are opening now that are getting you to a tech job when you graduate or right. to a trades, the skill of the trades. And industry is really interested in this because they have the whole gap of, you know, what do we do with kids that, or what we don't have kids graduating with core skills, like work skills, not just skills like right. Um, right. political skills. And so what do you think about kind of embedding more of these types of skills into high schools to prepare kids for the future better? Yeah. And I think it's, what's important is sometimes there's too many, the temptation is to go too granular. So the skill that gets taught is something very, very specific to it. Right. Like becoming an electrician. That's right. I mean, okay, that's, that's good. But you know, but there's, we do a lot, a lot of looking at like, where is the growth in jobs, right? Over, over time. And, and everyone has anecdotals like, Oh my, we, you know, we got to have more plumbers. We got to have more electricians. Yeah. Well, we, yes, we have to replace people who are leaving those professions, right? They're retiring or whatever. Yeah. But we don't necessarily need more of them, mm. right? That's not the growth. So the growth is, is in these other fields. And so you want to make sure, like, again, like, you know, we, we talked about, IT stuff. Like you don't have to have a college degree to go work in IT, but you better have really good skills beyond something that says, I'm going to teach you this, how to code in this specific language and then send you out there. And then three years from now, when AI relevant. changes all that, now you're irrelevant, right? You, right. but if I have these other skills, I can adapt. So yeah, I know how to code in that language, but now I can do this and I can do that. And I can still stay in the IT field or, Maybe I do want to go back to college 
and I've got some of the requisite content stuff that where I can go back and I can change, you know, I was doing this for a while, but now I'm going to go do this. I think it's, um, I get worried when I see policy people, legislators, and others, mm-hmm. and, and swing back say, well, no, college is way expensive. You, you don't need it for every job. And so we want schools and others to really invest in career and tech ed. Well, their vision of career and tech ed is, again, these really specific, you know, we're going to, we're going to get you this certification, but that certification might only be relevant for three or four more years. Well, not only is it only relevant for a few years, most likely, but nowadays people don't even stay in jobs for that long. So it's like, okay, so I want to be a, you know, dental assistant or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, now I got that out of high school and a year and I'm like, oh, I'm tired of cleaning people's teeth or whatever, holding holding the light for the dentist. And, and now you're like, okay, what do I do now? Cause I have this very specific certification yep. and I'm tired of doing it. And so yep. what you're saying is think more about like, what are skills they can actually apply to multiple jobs or, yep. or get specific about a field that you're, I was telling you that um, the founder of summit has started point B Diane Tabner right. and my friend Adam Carter. And we were just talking yesterday and they were talking about, you know, if we could get kids in ninth grade to be thinking what is my purpose in life and what do I love to do? And what are some options for me when I graduate from high school, whether it's college, whether it's not college, whether it's like after college and just start to think about what are the choices for kids in today's economy? I mean, my kids watch YouTube, they're 10 and 13. And my son's like, I want to be a gamer or a YouTuber. And I'm like, Oh really? What's your plan? You know, of course we go into like the old school, like (laughs) how are you going to do that? You know, but if you think about it, I mean, he's watching these, these, people that are 23 years old, they've been YouTubing since they're 13 and they're throwing around hundred dollar bills to everybody. Of course, not everyone's going to reach that. But the point is that that's a skill. Like they know how to create content. They know how to be engaging. They know how to do the, all the technological things that I don't understand, you know, to make sure people are watching, they know how to sell. And they're, they've learned all these skills that whether they're YouTubers for the rest of their lives or not, they have some pretty amazing marketable skills that they can use in their lives. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's where, you know, I, and someone asked me, uh, I was doing another thing yesterday and it was like, what's the purpose of school? Like, right. like okay, there's an existential question for you, yes. right? And I think it is to prepare people for life after afterwards and ultimately yes. to be, and again, you can talk about like a contributing member of society to, yeah. to contribute to the democracy, all those, all those kinds of things. But I mean, some of it comes down to, to, be equipped to do the things that make you happy. Yes. Right. In yes. the end, like, and that's, and it could be if, if like making a ton of money makes you happy, yeah. then you need, you need a set of skills that's going to enable you to go do that. If it's, yeah. you know, again, I want to have a good job and I want to have a family and I want to own a house. Like, okay, there's a set of skills that are going to enable yeah. you to navigate your way through the world to do that. And, and again, ultimately to be happy because, you know, that's, so it's looking at that through the high school experience and saying, how can we help students be happy through high school and start to understand, you know, like I said, as you, as you talk with, with your kids, like, what do you, what do you want out of life? Yeah. And how can I help you get there? Cause there's a lot of different pathways that are going to take you there. We just want to equip students to choose a path that's right for them and then make sure that they have all the requisite skills, knowledge, et cetera, yeah. to, to go there. And I love this approach because then again, like 
I don't know what the research is, but I know as each for each generation that the time they stay in a job is oh. shorter and shorter, right? right. Like it used to be 50 years and it was 30, then it was 20. Now it's like two years, right? Yeah, that's right. And so to allow them to be equipped to have skills rather than a very specific yep. job. And then the one thing I'm going to say that drives me crazy is that almost every single school website you go to, it says, we want to develop lifelong learners. Yeah. And I'm like, you go into a conference and give a talk and everyone's like, we endured high school. And yes. it's like, we're actually doing the opposite of lifelong learners. There's That's a right. reason why, um, you know, um, Ted Robinson, sorry, sir, yeah. Ken okay. Robinson, sorry, so Ken Robinson, yeah. Ken, that why his Ted talk was the, it's like in the top three. Yes. Because he talks about how we actually, you know, kill curiosity and sports. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so just the fact that you're doing projects and skills right there is changing the game entirely. Now tell me about, you just opened a micro school too. And I want to hear about that. Cause I feel like there's, I just interviewed Matt Baudreau who started Acton Plaster out here. He's, he's, I'm not sure when each episode will come out, but he was talking about the power of micro schools. And I asked him the question of like, well, you know, years ago in the charter school, movement, people would always say, oh, it's really cool that you're hanging out and doing this thing that no one else can do. And you've got your little bubble and everything's all magical over there. But like, what are we doing for the other 97% of the country? And so I'm just curious what your take is on, you know, tell us about the Microsoft you have and why you did it and what's your take on kind of where, where it sits in the movement or in the space. Yeah. So this was kind of one of my last, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, I kind of progressed out of as being a founder and then executive director and decided to step down out of the day to day. But one of the last things I did was say, we ought to do a micro school. And there were multiple reasons for that. One was, even though, as we talked, Purdue Polytechnic is very unique and different, there's still a time-based element to it. There's, right. you know, there's things that, you know, the, the projects last nine weeks, because again, you got 600 kids in a school, you got to schedule and do things. And while we don't have a year-long master schedule, you are scheduling in nine, nine weeks blocks of time. And that takes away some creativity and some individual choice for students. Um, and so the idea of the micro school was, hey, can we do something that has total flexibility for students, right? So they, maybe there's some group things that get scheduled and there will be, but if a student wants to design a project and they want to go do nothing but that for three weeks and yep. go, go a mile deep, they can. While another kid may say, you know, I'm going to do this thing, but I also want to do this thing and that thing. And you, it's easy to create internships because you're not trying to fit that into a prescribed schedule and you allow group projects, individual projects, a ton of community involvement. Again, we just launched it this year. We already have multiple community engagement, ranging from really small nonprofits to some businesses, to the, the faith-based organization. There's all these people said, hey, we want to be engaged and involved. And now, because you're so flexible, you don't have to say, well, you can you can be engaged, but it can only be at three o'clock on. Right. <laughs> and so I think there's... And the idea that you don't have to have any schedule other than each teacher has roughly 15 or 16 kids, they can now schedule those kids, right? They can be that kind of focal point for the student journey, if you will. And they can say, okay, look, if you want to do an internship, let's, we'll help you get one. I'll kind of stay in touch with your mentor at your internship. I'm going to help guide some these kids will probably have some asynchronous stuff they're doing. The teacher will do some content work with them. Um, and we kind of tied two pods, if you will, together. So we, two teachers, each with 16, so we can do some cross, 
you know, this, this person has this expertise in content. The other one has something different so they can do some different things. But again, it doesn't have to be a prescribed schedule. They can say, Hey, look this week, can you do this? And they're like, okay, yeah, you take my kids and I'll do this. And right. It's everything can be done at the local level and you don't have the overhead of a principal, a Dean, uh, all the other things. But also we have a network. And so we have English language learner support. We have special education support. We have, uh, you know, school nurses. We have like those things in our comprehensive high schools. And so they can support the micro school with those things. And oh, by the way, the teachers don't have to worry about how to pay themselves or how to pay rent. Right. Exactly. Which is huge. Yeah. People are taking care of that for them. So, and it also allows us to go to communities, which are smaller. Again, we're in Indiana. So, you know, there's, there's a handful of pretty large cities. Yeah. Then you have a lot of more, you know, smaller towns, rural, right. where there, uh, there's one high school. Like we're not going to go into a place where there's, you know, a high school that's been there for a hundred years and yeah. it's got, you know, 800 students. There's not room for another high school to come in with 400 students. Yeah. So, but yeah. we can do something with 30 or 40 students who okay. maybe don't quite fit yeah. in that incumbent high school, or maybe they were homeschooled through seventh or eighth grades and their parents are panicking going, I don't know how to do high school. Like I, that's right. And so I think that, that was what drove us to do it. And so again, we just launched it. Um, this is the first one. We, we are sure we'll do multiple across the state of Indiana, but then we're also interested in helping whether it's, uh, even incumbent school districts say, well, maybe we'd like to do that and yeah. let's, let's Let's create our own um, our own micro school, and you know we're District ABC, but we want to do our own micro school. So they're still our kids, and they can still play on our sports teams and yeah. like do those things. But it's a completely different setting and a different uh, like our micro school is in a church basement, right? Yeah. So well, it solves the facilities problem that you and I does. have had so many conversations about every time we see each other. Like, what are we doing with the facility, and yep. how many thousands of hours have we dealt with? facility and try to find one and deal with it financing. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why I have uh, a diminishing amount of gray hair. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's like one of the most stressful things for people in our role um, in our former roles. And so, yeah, what I love about the micro schools is like you were saying, it reminds me of the charter school movement in the early days in California, like late nineties, early two thousands. Yep. There was just so much freedom and autonomy to really disrupt and innovate that it started kind of creating, you know, that was the charter law in California was actually um, intention to innovate. You know, it was really about, that was the heart of the law is we want to just create this kind of system on the side that will show the big bureaucracy that, you know, it's possible when you start to think differently and get out of the box. So I think Microsoft is going to be really interesting. And I think that the question of like, oh, can they really make a difference when only, you know, 97% are in them? It's like anything, right? It's like, well, that's disruptive innovation. Like you start to have models of what's possible when you change the status quo and you start to like open people's eyes to different um, possibilities. And I love what you're doing because it reminds me of Wildflower Montessori who provides a Montessori, uh, let's see, two, they, they, they find two Montessori teachers. They do like a grade band of 25, mm-hmm. put them in a micro school and then they provide all the back office, all That's the right. back end. And it's like, you find a great teacher. I just found a company called Primer. It's doing a similar thing. It's like, we're going to do all the back office for you. 
and you just do what you're great at, which is teach and, and you know, lead the community. And then you take away all of the kind of, like you said, the time-based elements, all that you can go straight to skills, right? You can go to right. all the things you want to do. So this is super exciting. And I'll be talking a lot about micro schools on the podcast. The guy just started a national micro school center. Mm-hmm. Trying to get him on the podcast yep. Yep. in Las Vegas. So it's going to be really interesting to start to put all these pieces together as we talk about great people like you out there doing interesting things. Speaking of great people like you, you've now moved on from your school and you have a few gray hairs, but I think you got some <laughs> work in you. So what's, what are you up to now? Yeah, I, I would be, I would be a terrible retired person. Uh, so I have, <laughs> I have zero, zero plan to do that. I think really it's multiple things. So I'm still doing some work with, with Purdue, um, some special projects, the micro school being one, we're doing some interesting tech platform stuff because again, as we talked earlier, like all of the K through 12 systems are designed around very concrete silos of content and assign students to teachers and teachers to classes. And we're trying to look at how do you, how do you do it? So if you, if a student has an experience, it's a highly likely, again, if you're still in a, in a, in a world where there's courses and credits required to graduate, they're not, they're probably not going to do an internship or something else where they're going to get a complete credit, but they're probably getting a piece of content that's really valuable and they've shown proficiency. So how do you, how do you have a tech platform that allows you to track those pieces of proficiency and then reassemble those pieces of proficiency into credits on the back end and to predict forward what experiences might that student need to have to show proficiency in things they haven't done that yet, right? So work on doing some work with, with them on that. Partnerships with local districts who, again, might want to set up their own micro school or just do project-based learning as a first step. So that's work I'm doing for Purdue. Then I actually have things I'm doing on the State Board of Ed that, as we talked, are around um, essentially fundamentally redesigning some of the systems. Uh, we have a, a terrific uh, secretary of education here in Indiana, who, uh, Dr. Katie Jenner, who's really all in on that, that part of it and looking at, you know, streamlining standards, redesigning diploma requirements, aligning the assessments. Like those are all like state level policy stuff that if you fix that, you enable this innovation stuff at the local school level to happen much more easily. We, We've had to hack our way around it. Most people don't have the energy or the right. um, resource to do it. So yeah. allow that. Then I'm doing some independent consulting work for, again, it's it's basically anybody who says, we got to do something fundamentally different, particularly at the high school level. Let's, yeah. let's figure out. And there's people doing some interesting work on the ground across the country, and I've been able to get connected with folks like that. So I'm doing... Uh, as somebody put it one time, a free range chicken stuff, right? So it's, you know, crossing, crossing over states and doing some things where I'm not trying to start a school. I'm not, but I'm right. helping people do the work. We're taking advantage of, again, the fact that I've been around and started a couple of networks and done some things right. differently, taking advantage of that knowledge and, and uh, helping them. So th- those are, those are exciting. I mean, it's, and again, get to hang out with people like you and, and who kind of say, Hey, how do we, how do we move this forward in a way that allows us to get to the, you know, beyond the, the 3% of kids who yeah. are experiencing something different to every kid has a chance to do that. Absolutely. And I should be clear. I just made up that number. <laughs> it's, but no, it's, 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 it's not far off. Right. I mean, okay. if you think about, and it doesn't really matter what, 
whether you're in a private school, a charter school, or traditional district school, most educational experiences, particularly at the high school level, look largely the same. Yeah, they like, do. You know, if you didn't if you didn't pay attention to the sign on the school, you'd walk in, you wouldn't know what type of school. So I've I've been advocating for years now that you know when we talk about education reform, people think of what type of school. I'm advocating for education reform at the classroom level. Like what happens to the student daily experience? And I think it is. It's probably 97, 98% of kids are in a very traditional. Very traditional. Either model. private or, like you said, private. Doesn't or doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. We so, think that paying 30,000 a year is going to get us into, you know, some vastly different school, but it's based on the yeah. same, the same model. And I always say, I love that people are trying to disrupt and change the actual classroom experience. And we also have to disrupt the operating system or the That's way right. that we operate and that we organize schools, which why I think is really interesting, again, with micro schools as yeah, an option. Exactly. Like, you know, let's say the teachers are running it. Like, yeah. what's so crazy about that? You know, like, yeah. let's just say the teachers are running it and they're not dealing with payroll and different things that <laughs> they don't want to deal with. Yeah. Like, you know, the principals, most of the principals I work with and I coach are like, stressed out about lunch schedules and all these things they don't want to be dealing with. So why don't we just take all that stuff off the plate? Right. Not the small unit. Anyway, so really cool stuff. I knew we'd have a great conversation and I had no idea what you were up to, but I just know Scott. And I was like, I know he's up to really cool things. I'm going to trust and just send him an email and here he is. So yep. thanks for being on with us today. And it was a great conversation. appreciate it. Well, bit. my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker EDU podcast. Every guest and listener is a valued part of this co-creation. We're honored that you listen and we hope that this helped you in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement and without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you wanna learn more about me, go to davidkrichards.com. And as always, if you're so moved, please rate and review the podcast. And finally, our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. Sending you immense love and courage today. Thank you. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's ixl.com slash B-E.